Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. And I'm so happy this morning to see so many of you guys. Hey, doesn't this just feel right? Right, getting back in the church together and being able to worship the Lord. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. Hey, I want to say this, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm extra happy today because my kids are happy. Do you know that it's been 189 days since March 8th, since our Connect kids have met together. And as of last tally, over 75% of our kids have come back today over these next couple of services to come back and to worship together downstairs, to make much of Jesus together downstairs. I'm so happy to see our Connect kids back. I'm so happy that college football is back. I'm happy for everybody who's visiting and watching online this morning. We are just happy that you are here. And as we continue today in our Philippian study entitled Happy, last week we got to watch Paul use the imagery of a Greek sprinter running a race to take hold of the prize to capture the victory here in Philippians chapter 3. And really we, we unearthed that this was a challenge for us, for every believer, to run the very race that God has marked out for us in Christ, a race that requires our every effort, our every energy, our every everything to run. In fact, of, in light of last week's message, I, I want us to have a little fun this morning. I want us to play a quick game. It's entitled Stand Up If. Now, now what, do you, what you do simply, if this statement applies to you, if you're physically able, just stand up where you are, okay? We'll learn a little bit more about each other. You ready? Here's the first Question, stand up if you truly, really, sincerely love running. Would you just stand up? If you're a runner, I just, God bless you, I see you. Just stay standing. Just stay standing. Hey, can we give it up for the overachievers in the room real quick? And you know what? You all look like you run, okay? Man, I love it. You guys could be seated. I, I really wish I loved running. Um, shockingly to you, I know. I don't. Now, here's, here's more of the line where I'm at. You ready? Stand up if the fact that you are running means something terrifying is chasing you and everyone else should run too. Let me see my proud people out there. Now, just stand up for a minute. Stay standing. Yeah, this is us. This is us, right? And, and listen, uh, guys, I'm with you, right? I try, I'm going to try to love running, but I'm with you. You better run if you see me running, okay? You guys could be, y'all could be seated. And so, man, I tell you what, one of the things that we're finding in this study is that the truth of believers is that we run for a prize that is far greater than the pain that we feel running this race of life sometimes. In fact, we know that Jesus is our prize, and what we've studied through these 16 weeks is what we found to be true, that real joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. That when Jesus is at the center of my joy, when Jesus is my greatest joy, I'm the happiest I could be in this life. And guess what, believer? So are you. So are you. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to backtrack just a little bit from last week in, in verse 14. And I want us to read what Paul writes. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he says this, that I press on towards the goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now watch this in verse 15. And this is where we camp out today, the next few verses. All of us then who are mature should take such 
a view of things. Now, Paul mentions maturity here in the text. You know, the more we run this race that God has marked out for us, the more mature of a runner of a believer that we become. And as Paul points out, a mature believer, a mature runner, when running the race, realizes this. There is not much that you and I can control of really what happens around us. But you know what we can find and what we find in verse 15? Hey, believer, we can control us. We can control ourselves. I heard one pastor say it this way, that God is omnipresent, he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, and you and I are omni-nothing. But we really can't control everything going on around us. But maturity means this, that we can keep our eyes on the prize, on Jesus, that we can stay in our lane. And as believers, we can run the race that God has marked out for us. Verse 15, and if in some point you think differently, Paul writes, that too God will make clear to you. Hey, by the way, I love what Paul's doing here. He's teaching us that as we run this race together in life, that the believers ought to have patience one with another. That we ought to run this race together patiently. Verse 16, but he says this, only let us live up to what we've already attained. What he's saying is by all means, believers, practice patience with one another, but by all means, keep running the race. Don't stop. Don't go backwards in your faith in Christ. And in verse 17, he says, join together in following my example. How important this is. He writes to the church, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you've had us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I love this portion of the text because it reminds me of what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says this. Now listen to these words. These are heavy. He says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Hey, by the way, another important indicator that we are running our race, that we are maturing as believers, is when we can look at our wife, our kids, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our schoolmates, when we can look at our community, and we can say to them, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now think of this, you ready? This is not a statement that we are perfect and that we have arrived. That we are pursuing Christ. And by the way, that pursuit is worth imitating. Really, it's an invitation to other people. Hey, come join me in this race. Come join me in this race. Look at verse 18. We'll read together. For as I've often told you before, and now I'll tell you again, Paul writes, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set, now watch this, on earthly things. You know what I'm amazed by here in this passage? I'm amazed by Paul's tenderness towards. I'm amazed at Paul's compassion on those who look nothing like him or act anything like him or even believe like him. He has compassion, he has tenderness to those who are labeled as enemies of the cross. 
Now, that doesn't shock me too much. I think in Romans chapter 9, verse 2, where Paul writes that he has an, a great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in his heart for those Jewish believers, those brothers of his, who have rejected Christ. It reminds me of Jesus and his weeping over the unbelief of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. You know, the truth is, as we run this race, our response to those who are not in Christ ought to first be compassion and a commitment to love them in Christ and to live out the gospel before them. And that's exactly what we see Paul encouraging the church to do. I want to read you a great quote from an author by the name of John Piper. He's also a preacher. He just writes some really good stuff. Listen to what he says. Being exiles. Now let me define that term real quick. Meaning this, that this old earth is not our home. Being exiles, church, does not mean being cynical. It does not mean being indifferent or uninvolved. The salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat. Where it can, it saves in seasons. Where it can't, it weeps. And he writes, in the light of the world, does not withdraw, saying, good riddance to godless darkness. It labors to illuminate. A church, we must label, labor for the gospel here on earth. But as we labor on earth, Paul reminds us of this wonderful, this worshipful, this worthy truth. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Hey, hey church, hear me. If you are in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. What a wonderful, what a worshipful, what a worthy truth. Paul celebrates in the text. Now, the citizenship language here in this text speaks to the pride of the Philippian people who were citizens of Rome. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony, meaning this, that it was thousands of miles away from Rome in Europe. And yet we find that this colony, these Philippians were still considered as citizens of Rome. They were protected by Roman law. They talked like, they dressed like, they looked like, they acted like. In fact, they were Roman citizens. You know what Paul is saying? The same is true for believers in Christ. While we are not home in heaven yet, we ought to live our lives as citizens of heaven here on earth. Though we are not in heaven, and honestly for many, heaven seems many miles away. Although we're not home yet, we ought to be citizens of heaven right here on earth. Now, I want to say something. I have not been called of God to be a politician of this generation, rather a preacher of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In all honesty, I am far more concerned about your citizenship in heaven than where your citizenship lies here on earth. But here's what I know to be true, that if we will preach the word of God, that if we will make much of Jesus, if we will love people and we will make disciples, then not only will you and I be wonderful and worthy citizens of heaven, but we will be prominent and powerful citizens of these United States of America. Hey, hey, by the way, did you know we're in an election year? Did you know that kind of a big day coming up in November? right on the edge of yet another presidential election. 
And you know what, church? I, I want you to hear me. Of how important it is for the church. And, and listen, when I say the church, remember, I'm not talking about the building, but the body. I'm not talking about programs, but the people. I'm not talking about an organization, but an organism made alive in Jesus Christ. How important it is for the church to engage to exercise our rights, and to have an impact and a say on the direction of our country. The church must not, the church cannot sit on the sidelines. It cannot be uninterested. It cannot be unengaged. Too much is at stake. There are issues that as the church, we must not be silent on. There are issues that as a church, we must not surrender ground on enshrined in our Declaration of Independence adopted on July 4, 1776 is this statement that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Church, I want you to hear me. The church is for life. The church is for life. And by life, I mean at the very moment of conception until a person closes their eyes in death and enter into eternity. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, the psalmist writes. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, they are wonderful. As a church, we must stand for the life of both the born and the unborn. Jesus came, and what he said in John 10, 10 is true, that I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Issues of life from the womb to the tomb are not mere political issues. They are biblical. They are moral issues, and they are ground upon which the church must never surrender. And speaking of life, we hold to the truths enshrined in the Declaration of Independence that we are all created equal in the eyes of God, and we must see people in light of the very image of God that they bear. We are equal in value and equally cherished as God's creation. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Both God and the devil are after the soul. All humanity is loved and cherished by God. Hey, every single soul matters to him. Every person in this room, every person listening digitally to this morning, you are treasured by God. You ready? Think of it this way. That the gospel is an equal opportunity employer of God's grace. Hey, by the way, church, we ought to be too. We ought to be too. The church is for life. The church is for liberty. Hey, consider some of the first words that God spoke to humanity, that God spoke to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. You know what those words are? You are free. You are free. As a church, we are for liberty. We are for freedom that is protected by law and preserved by justice. In Micah 6, 8, the Bible says, and what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Are you ready, church? We must work for, we must strive towards, we must desire a just society where good is rewarded, evil is penalized, and freedom is treasured, where the abuse of power is dealt with swiftly and severely, but where those who are in charge of upholding justice and the rule of law, many of which are good, and honorable people are both appreciated and championed. We must have a justice system where innocence is protected and evil is punished if liberty is to survive. We are for liberty. Now, speaking of liberty, if somebody in this room will run for president on the platform that you will put a stop to these, your car warranty has expired, people, who call my phone seven times a day. You ready? I will vote for you. I will name another child after you. I'll quit preaching for a season. I'll run your campaign. We are for liberty. We are for life. We are for the freedom to worship. You know, Mike, we've had a precious lady here in the past month visiting all the way from California. Your mama, who's listening this morning, she can't go to church in California. She can't sing to the Lord in, in California. Just this past week, we had people from Pennsylvania and Michigan uh, visit, and every time I engage someone from various states, it's as if they are political refugees because it seems that they reside in states that have all but boarded up the churches and persecuted and prosecuted those who would dare gather together. And mind you, believers who are protected to gather together to worship by what is enshrined, what is written, what is enumerated in the Constitution of the United States. Church, we must treasure, we must cherish, we must stand up and speak out for this freedom needs to be taken away from us. And more importantly, for my children and my grandkids. These issues are more are not just political issues, but issues upon which the church must stand. Ground we must not surrender. We cannot be bullied into silence. We cannot be threatened into submission. While our citizenship lies in heaven, church, it does not mean that we care nothing of our citizenship here on earth. Now, I want to say a special note. I recognize that there are many believers who are genuinely struggling in this political climate. And you may be just one of those. I found a quote from Barnabas Piper, and it was good. And here's what he said. Christian, if you feel politically homeless, you're probably right where God wants you to be. This world is not our home. We serve a greater ruler, and we're to represent his kingdom here. And it looks nothing, not a bit, like our present political power structures and party, he writes. Can I, can I give you some freedom here? It's okay to struggle in a political climate like ours. But struggle, we must. On the 19th anniversary of 9-11, which we commemorated this past Friday, I do what I've done for 19 years. I clear my calendar, 
starting at around 8.15. I rewatched the broadcast, the news broadcast. The very news broadcast I watched when I was a teenager. On that very first 9-11. I sit down. And man, even 19 years, my heart hurts. This past Friday, tears stream down my face. Man, it still hurts to watch those events today. And you know what? I'm, I'm reminded every year at that time of how much I love America. There's no nation I'd rather raise my kids up in than this one. I'm reminded that a lover, that I would fight for her. Hey, listen, God forbid another 9-11 style event took place and they want fat preachers to go and fight. Man, sign me up. I'll go and fight. I die in defense of this country. But at the end of the day, my greatest allegiance lies with Jesus and his kingdom, who the very one Paul would write in verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. You ready? Here's some good news today. Jesus has not abdicated his throne. No one can take him off of it. He's still on it, and he will be forever and ever and ever. At the end of the day, church, our citizenship lies first and foremost in heaven, in God's kingdom. Not any old kingdom of this earth. Now, can I, can I give you some hard truth? With this political climate as our backdrop today. If we've engaged people more in conversations about Donald Trump or Joe Biden than we have Jesus, some of our priorities might be just a little bit off. Hey, if you've spent more time, if I've spent more time trying to convince someone to be a Democrat or a Republic more than I am trying to convince them to be a Christian, to be in Christ, then maybe, just maybe, we have lost sight of why God has saved us and why God has sent us. Hey, if you can sit here today, list the accomplishments of your candidate, stand up against any attack against them, and win any political argument you get into, but you can't share the gospel with somebody and our citizenship on this whole earth may mean a little bit more to us than our citizenship in heaven. Hey, church, it's okay to be passionate about politics. I am. Hey, it's okay to be excited about an election. I will stay up all night and watch the returns like an idiot. Hey, it's okay to engage in political talk. Just so long as your passion, your excitement, your political talk does not become idolatrous. Just so long as your citizenship and mine in these United States of America does not trump our citizenship in heaven. Now let's just stop for a minute. Check on your neighbor. Everybody okay this morning? Everybody okay? This is the type of message that probably just rubs against about everybody. Steps on just a little bit of everybody's toes. Just make sure your neighbor's all right this morning. Here's the deal. I'm not asking you, believer, to abandon your country. Just as Paul is not asking Philippian people, the Philippians he's writing, to abandon Rome, 
I am challenging us today to not abandon our king and his kingdom. Not to abandon our citizenship in heaven. Don't lose sight that we are first citizens of heaven. And that God paid a high price for our citizenship there. In fact, he reminds the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we were bought at a price that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and to raise him up three days later so that we could be citizens of heaven. Because here's the deal. When you and I are first and foremost citizens of heaven, and good ones at that, then and only then, can you and I be good citizens of these United States of America? Watch how Paul writes and finishes off verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, he writes. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly await a Savior, not from Washington. Not from the White House, not from the People's House, not from the State House, not from the Courthouse, but from heaven. A Savior's name who doesn't have an R or a D after it. In fact, his title is far greater than that of President or Pope or Prime Minister. His consequence is greater than that of a governor or a mayor. He, in fact, he is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And without question, he's coming again. He's coming again. Adrian Rogers said it this way. We ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming again this afternoon. One day soon, I believe, church, Christ will come for his church in the rapture and then will come with the church at the end of the great tribulation. But until then, and even then, we are citizens of heaven first. Our greatest excitement, our greatest expectancy is our king's soon return. Church, this is not my home. I'm only passing through. Church, this is not your home. You're only passing through. So what if we stop building our own kingdom here and we get busy building God's kingdom here together? What if we ran this race together? Making much of Jesus. Our values to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. I love what Billy Graham put out in a newspaper one time years ago. He said, someday you will read, you will hear rumors that Billy Graham has died. He says, don't you believe it. Don't you believe a word of it. For I shall be more alive than I ever have been. It's just that my address has changed. Church, we are citizens of heaven. I want to close with this. This is the picture of a man you don't know, but I do. His name is Sam. Before, we're Sevier County folks, but we've been in Charlotte for seven or eight years and ministering there. 
I love going downtown Charlotte and doing work with homeless folks down there, sharing the gospel with them, meeting their needs. And everybody in downtown Charlotte has run into Sam before. Sam is a precious man who rides his bike down the city streets. And here's what he says. I've got good news. Jesus saves. I've got good news. Jesus saves. As protests ignited in the city of Charlotte, Sam, as you can see, went on the front lines, made himself a sign. Jesus saves. And you know what? As he stood there, listen, everybody loves Sam. But he wasn't loved on much there. They threw stuff at him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. And they cursed his God. And yet every time, every time a protest would rise up, Old Sam would walk to the front, hold his sign and say, I've got good news. Jesus saves. What I love about Sam, he walks like, he talks like, he acts like, and he looks like. In fact, he is. A citizen of heaven. Hey, listen. Yes, he lives in the United States in which he loves. Yes, he resides in the city of Charlotte. But Sam knows first and foremost. He's a citizen of heaven. He knows first and foremost why Jesus saved him and why Jesus sent him. I ask you something, church. Are you a citizen of heaven? Hey, believer, can I ask you a question? Do you look like? Do you talk like? Do you act like? Do you live like? A citizen of heaven? Paul would say, we are citizens of heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, family. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.